accelerate your deductions. If you have a deduction coming up that you could either pay now or later, pay it now. Try to separate one card for business and link it to your QuickBooks Online or your accounting software so that you can figure out what your personal expenses are. Welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of wholesaling and house flipping businesses. The systems and automation that we discuss will help you build a real business instead of another job for yourself. From beginners to those doing hundreds of thousands a year, we go deep into the details and strategies that are working today. And now your host, Bill Allen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen, and we're finishing up the series that we just did with all of our members. So, we had a lot of the Runway members and the Altitude members come on, kind of tell their story a little bit. And during all of that, I had a meeting with my CPA, and we're getting towards the end of the year. We're coming up with our plan. We've been working this plan for the whole year, but now it's kind of you guys are all with me. I know that you are. You're entrepreneurs. You save everything to the last minute and you're trying to figure out where you're at so you can determine what needs to happen and what kind of things that you can do at towards the end of the year to help out with your tax burden for what you're going to need to pay in 2020 for the tax year of 2019. So I thought what better to do than we're going to do a series on on financial management, on tax planning, on structuring, on um, success habits, all of these things next. So we're moving out of the season of getting with our, uh, our members and trying to understand who they are and what they're doing and a lot of the cool things that they're doing. And now hopefully bringing you guys some high level stuff on what you can do to be a high performer, high achiever, as well as in business and in life. So tax strategy, tax planning, all of those things I think are highly, highly important that a lot of people just don't talk about. They brush under the rug, but this is where you can save a ton of money and make it all go back. It's not about how much we make, it's about how much we keep, right? And that's really where all this comes in. So when I was sitting there with my CPA this uh, past week, I looked at him and said, you know what? We should have this conversation on the podcast. We're talking about all the ways, all the different buckets that we can do right now to make sure that we reduce my tax burden and the company's tax burden and things like that. So he said, yeah, sure. I'd love to do that. So I'm fortunate enough to be able to interview my CPA who it's, I've gone through quite a few. I've done my taxes on my own, which you guys have heard on the podcast for many, many years. And I like to think that I kind of know what I'm doing, but this guy is at a whole nother level from me and probably everybody listening. So I have on the podcast today, my CPA, Chris Picuro. Did I say it right? Well, thank you. Yes, you nailed it. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. And um, we have a long history of uh, having our names mispronounced, but that's all right. This was, this was right on. And um, most of my coaches in sports just chopped it off. And my nickname in high school is just Pick, P-I-C-C. So, uh, you know, that's, that's good. I really appreciate being on the podcast. I have a, um, obviously, I'm very enthusiastic about not just tax compliance, uh, the kind of the stuff you have to do, but also the tax planning and strategy. And um, yes, you are really fun to work with and you get to keep, I get to, I'm always on my toes, which is awesome. And we get to be creative within the rules that have been provided to make sure that, you know, your tax bill is, is could be your largest, um, the largest uh, uh, bill you pay in a year. So based on, you know, a lot of factors, we can work on trying to get that reduced as, as much as possible. So in, in bigger picture, I mean, when you think about um, the tax code, the tax code is, is voluminous, but it's what it's doing is it's, providing us guidance with with what our government wants us to do you know they if they do they want you to save money for retirement do they want you to invest in real estate um do they want you to um 
reinvest in real estate if you if you sell real estate using different tax strategies. So if you just read between the lines and figure out what what your strategy is um, and, and if it fits with what those behaviors, just like those of you have children, right? We have, there's certain behaviors your kids um, provide you, which probably are few and far between that you feel like you need to reward them for that behavior. And the same thing is with our tax code. Yep. I love it. So we've got, we sat down and we've been working together on a strategy for the year and the previous year and everything like that. And obviously I come into every year at, for a strategy, not only for my company, the success, which we're going to talk about here on the coming episodes, but also about the tax structure of that. What does it look like? So, I mean, these are guys, when we talk about, when I brought on the EOS coach that we use, these are coaches that you have in your corner that you go to and you say, Hey, I've got this thing coming up. What do you think? Or what am I missing here? I'll tell you right now that Chris, when I was buying seven figure flipping this company, this whole concept, I went to him and he said, you, you gave me a recommendation that was huge for depreciating an asset like a company after purchase that was a win-win for both the seller and the buyer, which I had, I was going to go in a 180 degrees out from that. And it would have been a huge mistake from the tax liability side of things. So when you guys, it's not only are these, these kind of advisors that you have good at the end of the year, along the way, they do your taxes, things like that. But these are people that you need in your corner to be able to help you when something comes up. And these include attorneys, CPAs, um, just business coaches. So somebody who might be like the EOS coach that we have. These are kind of the people that are in my, uh, my corner who are the subject matter experts when something like this come up. And I had no idea that I would be purchasing a, a, a large company this year. But when I did, I went to my attorney, I went to my CPA, I talked to a lot of my trusted advisors and said, Hey, what should this look like? And you gave me some advice that, I mean, saved me hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's just unbelievable. Just, and you, you were like, yeah, of course, of course you should do it that way. But I had no idea what I was doing. So to help navigate you through that. So what kind of things, let's talk real quick, kind of big picture strategy, maybe, and then what we'll do mm -hmm. is we'll dive into the things that everybody can do right now for the last two weeks of December, possibly of 2019. Well, thank you very much again. And, I, and everyone who's listening to the podcast, you are your own business. Even if you're uh, working in a corporate environment and you're, you're aspiring to, to get more into your business or you're doing it full time or kind of a mixture of both. And with every business, they have a board of directors. So, um, you know, Bridgestone and, and, and General Motors, these all are large companies have a board of directors. So you have to think about that. We don't have the resources to have such a board of directors. So you have to create your own board of directors and advisors. So having your CPA, your attorney, business coach, colleagues, I, I just spoke with one of my colleagues who's an enrolled agent today about some strategies for his business. Um, I try to always, you know, one of our company uh, missions is to give back more than we take from, from society. So that's sometimes we can coach. Sometimes we could be coached having a lending, having a lender, having a banker. So all these are just pieces to the puzzle. So I'm always honored to be a part of that. And it's a team sport. Um, you know, I, I, I use the analogy a lot. Pretend you're running a half marathon January 1st, and let's assume you're not uh, an elite marathon runner. When would you start training? Uh, you probably wouldn't start training December 15th or 20th. Um, so it's one of those things. It's not like a test where you can cram for with year end. A tax plan is a living, breathing organism that we have to communicate throughout the year like we do. And, and with our clients, we're, we're 
you know, exclusively a bundled service subscription-based model, but but it doesn't always have to be that way. If you're, you should be working with a tax advisor that really understands your business throughout the year. Um, so that being said, there are some things you can do at the end of the year, kind of some DIY stuff that I'm going to touch on, but I'll step it back to the original question of our 30,000 foot view. Um, I kind of look at it like we have different, um, I have different diagnoses. And I've come up with four main diagnoses for clients when it comes to tax strategy. The first one would be tax-free growth. What does that look like? That could be using Roth IRA contributions. That could be using um, uh, for you or your children. That could or that could be using advanced um, uh, life insurance strategies. There's something in it in an investment vehicle or product that allows your money to grow tax-free. So that's like that's one strategy. Um, another strategy, or I should diagnosis, another diagnosis is tax acceleration. You might say, who the heck wants to accelerate tax? Well, if you're in a lower earning year or a lower earning tax environment, or if you have a triggering event that's going to create a loss, let's say you invest in a huge syndication and you can deduct the losses and you're going to have these big K-1 losses and you have money stuck in an IRA, you might want to do a Roth conversion that year. Those are things called tax acceleration. Um, so like a Roth conversion is, is the prescription, the tax acceleration is the diagnosis. Um, sometimes we're looking at one-time tax reductions, um, big, big opportunity exists right now with bonus depreciation and section 179. So if people are acquiring automobiles or, or, or business equipment or buying businesses and how we allocate that business acquisition can really play a role in the one-time tax reductions. Um, other one-time tax reductions might be, um, you know, uh, charitable donations, land conservation easement investments. Um, there are uh, cost segregation study is 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 a great example. Um, so that would be that would be the prescription. So if we have a client come in that says, "Oh my gosh, I literally just had an email from someone who is friends with one of my clients, and I know this person that um, has a projected one hundred fifty-seven thousand dollars balance due, and they don't know what to do about it." Um, because a lot of times our, the CPAs, they might be able to give you the answer, but they don't really of what you owe, but not how to fix it. Um, so that's one-time tax deduction. The last one is tax deferral. That's, that's a situation where you're taking a taxable event and deferring it to a future date, um, either because your tax rate might be lower in that year. Uh, maybe it is, uh, you know, maybe that you're, you have the time value of cash. Um, or money, you, you have an opportunity cost for that cash instead of paying tax. Great, uh, great uh, diagnosis or, or prescription for that would be an opportunity zone fund. So again, I'm not recommending this for the listeners. What I'm recommending is a lot of times clients come to me with the prescription and they haven't gone through the process of getting a diagnosis. So we have to diagnose the situation first. And sometimes a prescription might hit on multiple diagnoses. So um, as we get to the year end, um, you know, this is a, you know, we're, we're, we're putting the icing on the cake on some things, making some decisions on some things. And then we have to determine what prescriptions do we have to take before the end of the year? What prescriptions can we take after the end of the year? Um, so. Okay. Yeah, before, I mean, before we go too deep into this now and fast forward to what we're doing now, let's go through those four mm -hmm. buckets. I think, I think this is important because, sure. and what I want to do and is I'm open with everything that I do. So let me go through some of those buckets and give them some examples of what I've done. And I think that might be helpful for them to see an actual, um, an actual idea come to, come to life instead of just these kind of theories. So the first one was tax-free growth, right? 
Yes. So I have, I personally have a Roth IRA that I've used since I was little. So ever since I've got W2 income, I think I was 12 or 13 years old when I got my, uh, no, I was probably 15 years old when I got my first job at the golf course and I started getting W2 income and I would put my, basically everything that I made into my Roth IRA. So I would stop. And at that point, at that time, I think it was like $2,500 was the max. Uh, this year, if I'm right, Chris, it's $6,000. Is that right? Mm -hmm. so, yeah, and you could put additional if you're over 50, but right. yes. Let's. So if you're older than, than me, uh, over 50, you got catch-up contributions that you can do also. So for ease of uh, discussion, everybody under 50, it was 5,500 last year. This year it's $6,000. And so what I can do is I can put up to $6,000, assuming that I have that in, made that income or uh, some self-employment income, things like that. Uh, we, all those details are a longer discussion, but I can put $6,000 in. I also, when I got married, I created a spousal IRA. So my wife didn't have a W-2 job. She didn't have income, but you, there's a spousal IRA that you can set up for your spouse. So I would put at that time, it was $5,500, put $5,500 in mine, $5,500 in Lucy's. And what we do is we use those Roth IRAs now to self-direct into real estate. So let's just use a simple example is inside that Roth IRA, and I don't want to get into <clears throat> a full-on IRA and 401k discussion of what you can and can't right. do. Lots of rules. But let's just say you, you bought a house inside of there as a, um, as a an owner finance house. So I bought this house for $20,000 and I turn around and sell it on owner financing for $60,000. And all that, and they're paying an interest rate of say five and a half, six percent into that Roth IRA. Over time, over that 15 year note or 20 year note, you could really turn $20,000 into potentially 80, 90, $100,000 in 15 years, mm -hmm. which you never, you don't pay tax on the growth. It's really great to do inside of an IRA. You could do it with rental property. There are some rules and laws about flipping in there and things like that, wholesaling. I don't want to get into all of that and recommend any of those things for you guys. That's definitely a conversation to have with an IRA attorney or an IRA lawyer or an IRA company or a custodian. But for you guys, think about what you can do inside of your Roth IRA. Basically, you can make money inside of your Roth IRA and not have to pay taxes on it. Um, you do lose some of the depreciation. If you have a rental property in there, you're not writing off a lot of the depreciation and different things that you get, but all the appreciation and income is untaxed. So it's a great vehicle to use. I do loans through my uh, IRA. So I'll do some hard money loans and some different kind of loans inside of that IRA to reduce the taxable burden that I have on so basically self-employment income that I would pay high taxes on. So that's how I use my Roth IRA. You can self-direct it into real estate, which a lot of people don't know. And that's probably somebody that I'll have come out on the podcast soon to talk about that. So any, so there's also solo 401ks and safe Harbor 401ks. And there's a Roth component of that, which I have, I had, when I was a solopreneur, I had a solo 401k. I'd fill up my Roth component, which is really high. It was $18,500. Now it's 19,000 this year. And I can put up to $56,000 in their total with the company match. So and I, I only mention that because when we get to the conversion part, I'm going to talk about a conversion from my traditional to my Roth 401k. So I know I'm probably hammering a lot of people on the podcast and overloading them, but this tax-free growth, the practical implications of that in what we do is setting up a Roth IRA, self-directing it into real estate, and basically doing what you're doing right now just inside of your IRA. Really, really powerful stuff. Now, you can't live off of that money, but you can definitely um, continue to contribute. You can grow it for retirement, and that's what it's for. Mm-hmm. 
And some of the things, you know, if you if you have a uh, Roth IRA, that's tax-free growth. If you have children that you can find some legitimate work in their business, um, then you're accomplishing, you're, you're really hitting two diagnoses, your tax-free growth and your uh, one-time tax reduction. Because by income shifting into a lower tax bracket, the, which would be your children's, um, you're accomplishing two, two different things. So the, that is uh, it's great when you can hit on multiple diagnoses with one prescription. Absolutely. And then when you get to that point, now you got your money going to your kids, your kids can start a Roth IRA because they have earned income and they can set up a Roth IRA and start growing it. I wish that I started my IRA before I was about 15 years old. It'd be a lot bigger than it is right now. So, um, okay. So then the second one is, what was the second one? It was a conversion. Tax acceleration. So tax acceleration, sometimes we're looking for um, taxable events to occur in a year that could, so it, it could be a variety of things. Uh, you may have, you may have passive activity losses that you are sitting on and doing, you no good. Um, those passive activity losses can't go with you into the grave, uh, nor can uh, capital loss carry forwards. So, and if I see a client with a large passive activity loss, we're going to look for, we're going to go pig hunting, which you might say, well, what the heck's that? I'm not in Arkansas. Uh, even though they got a new football coach, the Razorbacks are probably not thinking about the same pigs we are. The one I'm talking about are, are passive income generators. So what, what can you invest in potentially to, to provide you with passive income? Because those passive income items can also offset passive income losses. So that could be selling a rental property that and, and not, doing a ten, you know, not doing the 1031 or an, or an OZ fund because you have enough losses to offset it, it could be investing in a royalty because it's a passive activity. It could be um, investing in a, you know, you know, having your other, doing a syndication. Most syndication deals that are smaller are going to provide you with some tax advantages. Um, but again, you could have a, you could have a client. I could have a client with a huge capital loss carry forward and a passive activity loss carry forward, and they're sitting on land that they're going to do nothing with, and they in their mind they just felt that they could never sell it. So you just don't know. Um, and then you also have the Roth conversion. That's the easiest thing if you have a, a traditional IRA, or if you have a four hundred one k plan that provides you the opportunity to convert to a Roth. That's creating income in a year where you don't really have any. We're, we're seeing a lot in, if you have, if we have listeners that are pre social security age, but maybe took an early buyout from employment. So that red zone is maybe 55 to 65. They, they're not, they maybe they're sitting on large IRAs. That's where Roth conversions might make sense because we know that when you hit 70 and a half, the government forces you to take money out of the IRA, which is also going to trigger your social security to be taxable. So I have clients that might be in the 22% marginal tax bracket, but once they start triggering their social security to be taxed, it's a higher marginal tax bracket. So when we look at tax-free growth and tax excel, like most articles you find out there are really focusing on tax deferral and what can I do today? We have to look in the future sometimes. So sometimes we might want to do one of those things. Yep. I agree. So for me, the the practical implication of that, that I'm doing this year, which I am doing this, I'm using this bucket too, is I've converted some of my traditional 401k money into Roth 401k money. And the reason for that is, you know, when I bought the company, we've got a deduction from that, from the purchase for uh, depreciation. We've also got, I've got some other houses that I was looking at doing a cost segregation plan on, some rental properties, a very big one that I ended up having to buy down in Pensacola that we rent out. And then also, a lot of you guys know about the storage units that we're building down in Orlando, which is going to kick off a very large 
uh, uh, write-off for taxes due to cost segregation and a couple of other syndications that I invested in this year. So when I looked at all that, it looked like what it was going to do. And most of you, you, you look at, I'm going to make this much money. I'm in a really high tax bracket. But if we can figure out, there's a lot of people that are making millions of dollars that are actually at paying zero taxes because of all of their depreciation and bonus depreciation, all the write-offs that they have in one year. And then the next year, they actually are making 500000 So you've got to be careful about when you make this conversion. So I wanted to convert all this traditional money into Roth. Number one, I wanted to simplify my, my accounts. I have a lot of my... My wife has a traditional 401k and a Roth 401k, a Roth IRA. I have a traditional and a Roth uh, 401k and a Roth IRA. So there's six accounts that we're lending money from and kind of uh, having to keep track of. So I wanted to simplify that. So converting the traditional money to Roth, but I also didn't want to do what Chris said and trigger a, a higher tax bracket because of it. Because the whole idea about a traditional 401k is that you have that right off when you're a high tax bracket and you take it out when you're in a lower one. Well, a lot of my mindset is I, I work really hard. I don't know that I'll ever stop working and I don't ever plan to be in a low tax bracket. So that's probably some of the, the thought that we're putting into it. And like Chris said, you're projecting way, way, way into the future. And what are the tax brackets even going to be in 20 or 30 years? We don't know. So making sure that we're being smart with that and it's not bumping me up into the next you know, two tax brackets above where I need to be because of a conversion, but planning for that ahead and then executing on it towards the end of the year, that's the smartest thing to do. So I have some of these write-offs from all these different kind of commercial assets that I've been part of. And then some of the single family bonus appreciation. We got a lot of people in the altitude group who are buying a lot of rental properties and doing um, cost segregations on single family houses to get their tax burden way, way down. They're basically paying zero tax by buying a certain amount of real estate per year to offset their income. So at that point, that's when you can make those conversions and put it into that Roth IRA or 401k and then have tax-free growth over the next, for me, you know, I'll about 40 years old. So you've got, I've got another 30 plus years before this will let that grow tax-free. I'd much rather it grow tax-free than taxed when I take it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And I agree. I mean, you've got to think about, um, but in your situation, and hopefully, and probably a lot of people's situation that's, that are listening, is that you might qualify as a qualified real estate professional. So you might not be subject to a lot of the passive activity rules that other people would be. And if you fall into that, Roth conversions make a lot of sense because there are there is no self-employment tax on it. Um, you know, now if you if you are a W-2 person. Uh, $700,000 of W-2 and you own four rental properties, those passive losses are not going to really help you. Um, so Roth conversion might not make sense for you, but, but that it just depends on the situation. So you never know. Maybe, maybe you and your spouse work in the business, your spouse qualifies as a real estate professional and, and you don't. So there's a lot of planning that's involved with this too, but yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great yes. point to make that I didn't make is to be a qualified, qualified real estate professional. That's what allows you to bring these large deductions, these really big write-offs into a year instead of having to space them out over time, right? Right. And, and we've been looking, if, if any of the, the listeners have a business that has been investing in improving products or technology, um, the the there's a lot of opportunity with re, uh, research and development credits out there. So that's where a credit is even better than a deduction. So we really have to look at the, and even I have a team, like I don't, you know, 
I don't know everything about everything about tax, but I know enough to bring in if I need a cost seg done, if I need a research and development study done, if we need something special done, we're going to bring in someone to the client to make sure that they're taken care of. So, but yeah, that we just have to look at the situation and, and see what, what's best for them. So that's on the tax acceleration, um, one-time tax reduction. I mean, doing a cost segregation study is a great one-time tax reduction strategy. Um, making contributions to retire, like SAPs, solo Ks, that fills the bucket of one-time tax reduction and tax deferral. So the other you know, thing the that I did, rate, the other thing that I did with that was a section 179 deduction. So a lot of you guys don't know what that is, but uh, so a lot of you know, last year uh, in December, I bought an airplane that we use for the company, we use for the mastermind groups, we travel. So what we were able to do is bonus depreciate that in year one based on um, section 179 deduction. So I have an airplane and then this year we've had to do a lot of upgrades on it with paint and, um, and avionics and things like that. So that allowed last year, I was able to get a bonus depreciate the purchase of the airplane down for the year to reduce that one-time tax reduction that we talked about. And mm -hmm. this year, I mean, just tomorrow I'm, I'm taking, I said, look, my, I got a really cloudy head. I've got a lot of things going on and I'm planning for 2020. Then I'm going to get together with some of my entrepreneurial friends here in, um, in Nashville and I'm going to take them flying tomorrow and we're going to talk business. We're going to go for lunch and we're going to get together and just, you know, build kind of a, some, a networking event basically with the airplane, which is fantastic. And I'm able to fly my staff down to Orlando for our cruise that we're having with the seven figure runway and altitude members here in February. I fly it to the masterminds, all the things that I get to do with it is just fantastic. And it's a 100% business that I use it for, which is great. So things like that. Right. Yeah, and you hit on a good point with um, the Section 179 deduction has been around for a little bit of time, but not many people know about it. But the bonus depreciation with tax reform is really our has been the best thing for real estate investors because what you can do now is if you can segregate out the personal property portion of your rental property and you acquired it in 2018 or later, you can most likely qualify for bonus depreciation. So before, if you bought a $200,000 rental property, it really didn't make sense to do a cost segregation study. The numbers didn't work, but let's make, let's, let's assume you bought a, a $200,000 rental property um, for 20% down. So let's say, you know, I'm just making numbers of $40,000 down and then you do a cost segregation study and assume you can deduct those losses. You might, you might walk away with a $60,000 media tax deduction, which would be in, in, a, in a high tax bracket. That could be $20,000 of tax benefits. So now you basically got into that house for 20,000 net. Um, there are some extreme scenarios where you can almost, your tax benefit can almost equal your down payment. So there, and that's, um, you know, so there's some powerful things. There are some really good things with the one-time tax reduction, but you have to think about the property. If it's, if you're going to, if it's going to be a long-term hold, um, and you have an exit strategy if you sell it. So yeah, that's one thing we yeah. talked about with mine is if I sell it next year, it doesn't make a lot of sense to do a cost seg and, and bonus depreciate it right now. So weighing that and coming up with a plan and trying to structure that in what makes the most sense for you. So what's the, what's the, what's the fourth, area that you had? The last one is tax deferral. So tax deferral means that I'm, I'm deferring the tax on an event. It's not going to go away, which again, that would be a SEP contribution. There'd be an opportunity zone fund uh, investment. So if you have a capital gain, it could be from any capital gain. It could be from any source rather. It could be a stock option or stick restricted stock uh, option or units. It could be, a, it could be a property. Um, it could be a piece of artwork, uh, who knows? 
But if you have, um, you could defer the, the capital gain tax on that until 2026. So what you're, you're, with the Opportunity Zone Fund strategy, you would, you would get the tax deferral, but you also get tax-free growth because if you own the asset for 10 years, then you get a step up in basis. So it's a hybrid strategy. And um, so I'm assuming my listeners, the, my listeners probably hear 1031 exchange with this, right? So this tax deferral is I've got a property, I sold it, I'm going to take another property and I'm just going to kind of kick that can down the road of capital gains tax over and over and over again until eventually I'm moving up in classes like the monopoly game, right? I got a house, I got four houses, I got a hotel, I've got larger apartment buildings and then I pass away and it's a stepped up basis to my kids ideally or I eventually we have to pay that tax depending on where we are uh, but constantly moving into another property, right? Exactly and you would see behind me I love monopoly and uh my family won't play with me anymore, but that's all right. It's a, you know, I, I sadly I, I used to have the whole board memorized with every every rent for every house and hotel. So that's kind of why I got into real estate, and I love working with real estate investors just because I feel like if you're a practitioner and if you're an attorney, a CPA, financial advisor, whatever you're, you know, find the industries that you have a passion for that you're involved with and work with people in those because you're just gonna you're gonna you're going to love it. It's going to be much more fun. So, um, but yes, yeah, so back to the 1031, the 1031 exchange is by far the most popular tax deferral strategy. The OZ fund, what it did is it, it just came out when you were, when we were under tax reform. So it's not for everybody, but it's something to consider. If you, if you find yourself sometimes that you blew your 1031 exchange, um, just because there's some misconceptions out there. One thing that one option would be, for instance, if I have a client that blew their 1031, um, they still might be able to take their capital gains and put it in an OZ fund. They still might buy another replacement property for less money, slap a cost seg study on it and, and almost get rid of a lot of the gain anyway. So you can circumvent your, your, your 1030, uh, you know, a blown 1031 exchange. And just so the, everyone, the listeners understand, the good news is we talked about what do I have to do before the end of the year? What can I do after? Um, uh, the costs or the, the opportunity zone fund investment can be done within six months of the selling, the, the property sale or the capital gain. Or if that capital gain is in a partnership, it's six months from when you get the K-1, so you get a lot of time. Um, the, um, um, the cost segregation study, as long as you do it before you file your tax return, you don't, <clears throat> you're all set. So if, if it's a year, let's say you bought the property in uh, October of eight of 19, you really have to October of 20, if you did a tax extension to determine if you want to do a cost seg study. And you might have K-1s out there that you don't want to commit to that right now. So you ha those are two things that are, that are post year on strategies that, that could be implemented. Yeah, I'm glad uh, so, you brought that up because I have it written down here. So uh, talking about the limit on the cost segregation for single families, because you can go back and, and the, the other thing that we should probably touch on is you could go back now to properties that you've owned in the past, right? So if I, if I've owned this property for five years, I can go back and bonus depreciate it right now, right? Yes. So if you have, so before tax reform, you wouldn't, you were not able to deduct the personal property portion of your property when year one. So Typically, a cost segregation study only made sense if you have one, three things occurred. It's a commercial property, it's over $500,000, and it's a buy and hold. Because commercial property, the depreciation on that's 39 and a half years. 
and it had to be at least $500,000 of acquisition cost to make it worth it. Um, so if, I, if you could reclassify seven-year property within the commercial property, and you were deducting it over 39 and a half years, you're getting a lot of juice there. So back to your point, if you have a listener that says, oh man, I bought this building uh, in 2014 and I just set it up at 39 and a half years, man, maybe I should do this. Well, what you can do is you can have someone look at it and you could do a cost segregation study analysis. And part of that analysis is going to be what would have happened, you know, back to Monopoly, you get a one get out of jail free card. Okay. You pull that little red card with the guy coming out of jail or the, or the, the chance card or the community chest had one too. Um, and it's, and it says, had this cost psych study been done in 2014 when you bought it, how much depreciation would have you taken over the last five years? And you can take that as a one time, uh, uh, 640, uh, no, 41A, election. So you would, when you file your tax return, if you would be electing to do an automatic change of accounting method and taking all that depreciation that should have been taken in one, one entry. So I've seen them where someone picked up $200,000 of 481A deduction and, and maybe they had, I'm just looking at thinking about maybe they had a sale from another property. So you can kind of sit on that. And if it's a buy and hold and you have a sale on another commercial property, you can just do the do that and offset it. Okay, I'm glad so, we're having this conversation because I have a commercial building that we own down in Pensacola that I probably need to mm-hmm. run the numbers on to do a cost seg this mm-hmm. year to write that off to even increase my deduction this year. So I'm going to write that down for mm-hmm. us to talk about. Right. So good stuff. I'm, I'm getting stuff even from this right now. And guys, I know for some of you, you're probably like, you know what? I just like to negotiate sales. I just like to do, do deals. I like to flip houses. All this stuff is way over my head. Well, hopefully what you get from this is knowing that you need to have the right person in your corner that can be doing this stuff for you and with you and give you that plan ahead of time so that you can go into your year planning for that. Because a lot of what we do, and Chris, so you know, most of the listeners are wholesalers or house flippers. And so we are very just active income, self-employment income, active income. It, it becomes a business. We're uh, typically classified as dealers and houses, things like that. So our tax burden is really high. So we've got to be strategic in the beginning of the year because if you go out and you make a million dollars this year, you're going to be taxed at a very, very high rate. And what we do, you've got to figure out how you can strategically start doing some other things with the income that you're making as opposed to just, you know, socking it away in a bank account, saving it, lending it out at another high in, like high tax on active income with, uh, with interest income and things like that. So you've really got to start thinking about this strategically. And so hopefully, even if you're like, man, this, this podcast is just way over my head. I feel like I'm, I'm getting bombarded with, with things that are outside of my, the way that I can think about it is just knowing that you sh- if you're at, once you get to that level, you've really got to step up your game and get the right person in your corner. So um, I love this stuff. I, ask, I, I could talk about this all day. I absolutely, every time I talk to you and other people about taxes, I learn something, I write something down, I get a new nugget uh, for things that I needed to do. But if you think this way from the beginning, like if you have the, these concepts and ideas and plans ahead of time, then your execution can change. The decisions that you make along the way, you can navigate instead of waiting till afterwards to try to unravel something or change something or say, I wish I knew that ahead of time instead of afterward. So that's the big thing that gotchas that I see around the community and people that I know is 
they're not really paying attention to this. They're just doing deals. They're making money. They're churning houses. And then when they look back and say, wow, if I did all this inside of a Roth IRA, for example, or if I did this, all of this in a opportunity zone fund, if I did all this with the, like the structure of my entity, I have, where I have a pass through a, a LLC or I have an, a, an LLC taxes and S corporation or lots of different things. All of those structures are so important at the end of the day. And you can't just wait until November and December and change the election on your taxes for your LLC. You've got to do that stuff in the beginning of the year or right when you start it up within a certain amount of time. So lots of things to talk about here. So without jumping into all of that, what I'd like to do is spend the rest of the time that we have together talking about, okay, I get it, Chris and Bill. I am at this point. I wish I had come up with a strategy, but now I've got two weeks left. What, what should I do? What are some things that I can do now to, to fix some of the things that I did or some things to think about that I can reduce my tax burden this year? Right. So can I, I'm going to hit on one more thing. And then just if you're, if you're a listener and you feel, and you're doing a lot of flipping and fix and flips, um, or wholesaling, just remember, I think your challenges are don't, don't, yeah, don't worry about if this is a 489A or a 1031, all that jargon. Um, uh, cash is king to you. So you have to consider um, when you're recognizing your income and understanding you don't want to get caught with your pants down, for lack of a better term, with too many, too much of your cash into projects because until you, until you sell a property, um, you don't, that's when you recognize the income and the deductions. And a lot of times we run into people, newbies that, that do a flip and they say, oh, but I bought something else. And they didn't do a 1031 exchange. Now they have no cash and they owe tax. So just make sure you, you really work on your cash flow budget and, and understand um, controlling your inventory, you know, essentially. As far as being a dealer. Okay, hold on, hold on. Before, before you yeah. move on. I think this is a yeah. huge thing that I really want to highlight that you just said, because it reminded me of when I just got started in the business. And what I thought was, wait, I bought this house and I bought all this materials and I paid these contractors and I bought the property in October, but I didn't sell it until March. And so I get the tax write off in that year that I spent it, right? And the answer is absolutely not. No, you do not. You get nothing. I'm sitting here. If, if I'm I remember last January, I bought a ton of houses and then I bought a ton more houses. And by the end of the year, we had spent more than we made. So I thought we were going to have these huge deductions and we spent a bunch of money in the last four months of the year, but we had all these, all this inventory, like you said, and it's just inventory until we sell it. So yeah, that's true that the $30,000 that I, um, that I made on the property doesn't get taxed by me until the next year. However, all the money that I had spent and then I had this huge tax bill hit me. This is basically the end of my first, my second big year in the business. I did like 180 deals, $1.3 million in gross profit. And, but I didn't have any money in the bank from time to time. It was the real estate cash roller coaster was going up and I had a lot of my money in, into, the, into the company and into the projects. And so next thing I knew, I got hit with this tax bill that was like $130,000 tax bill. And I went, oh crap, I've got to pay this. And it's my company's fault. It's the company that created this and I've got 10 employees or 12 employees, but I had to write the check. It comes to, into my account, my social security number, it all flows to me, right? And so mm -hmm. I had to write that check or figure out how to write that check. And the company didn't have the money to pay me to write that check. So this is a, a huge problem with any business owner. I mean, I talked to my dad, you guys heard him on the podcast. He runs an engineering company, same thing. He's had to make 
had to pay tax bills for the company in the past plenty of times. And the company owes him that back and the company owed me the tax bill. So now we've done a lot of things inside the business. And one of them was implement profit first, where every time we do a deal every month, we're putting money into the tax account. So right now we have a tax account that's separate from our operating account that's got money sitting in it. So when the tax bill comes next year, we can pay it without me having to dip into my pocket. So there's lots of different ways to do that. But understanding that that's that concept, what it is, where the tax bill flows to you. And you got to make sure that at the end of the year, if their business made a million dollars, you've got to have that tax money from the business. Like go get it from your business so you can pay the taxes and not be stuck with a huge bill, a six figure tax bill, which is scary. So anyway, I, I wanted to, I, I had no idea that the money that I was spending wasn't going to be a write-off until I executed the transaction basically, because you're right, it's all inventory and that it all flows at back to the concept of the cash flow roller coaster that I feel like we're always on as entrepreneurs, especially in the flipping business. We flip three houses, uh, you know, we flip three at a time and then we go to five at a time and then 10 at a time. We never keep cash in the bank because it's like a hot potato. We're paying interest on it. We don't want right. to be right? Yeah, your cat, I mean, your opportunity costs are so, they grow as your business grows and cash is king. So I understand that. And that's why a lot of, a lot of clients want to know where they're at. They might not pay their tax right away, but they want to know where they're at um, because they feel like, you know, although they might pay a penalty for underpayment, it's pretty cheap financing in the bigger picture. Um, but what happens, some, what happens if you, if you, if you run a foul and you, you're into a project so much that you can't get your money out of it and then you have to rent the property out now, it's even worse. You have no cash to pay your tax. You're getting some rental income. We're going to convert that to a rental property, maybe do a cost seg on it, try to get some deductions, but we're, we're kind of screwed for lack of a better term. So cash flow, I think for, for the, the listeners that are just getting started in, the, in, their, in their beginning stages, cash is king. And so what can you do before the end of the year? This is going to sound funny, but make sure you have a book, a good bookkeeper on your team. And Bill, you do, you have an awesome team. Um, and when, when we go in your QuickBooks online, it's like, I know these numbers are, are, you know, maybe we got to make a couple of tweaks, but I can't, you know, bad information is worse than no information. Um, because then bad decisions are made and sometimes no decisions better than a bad decision. So, um, to make sure you invest, you know, and find someone to help you out. And, and, you know, don't, I always say, I wish I can grab a guitar and, and be a rock star, but unfortunately God made me an accountant. And so find someone, yeah, find someone that, that really knows um, bookkeeping that can, in, a, in, a, in an online environment that can give you the reporting you need uh, through doing separate projects by, by class. So we can make decisions. When we look at this, we're like, we're making decisions. Um, you know, what can you do other, other things in the last couple of weeks? Well, you could do a few things. You could defer income. Um, what would, what that, what does that mean? Well, maybe you have a closing schedule for December 28th and maybe you just close January 2nd. Um, I know, you know, because think about that's, you know, and we always say, don't let the tax tail wag the dog. But if, if it's a, if it's a matter of convenience, then, then if you just delay four or five days, you have a whole year to report that income. Um, it's on the next year's tax return. The other big thing is accelerate your deductions. You, so every listener, unless you're doing over $25 million a year in sales, you're going to be a cash basis taxpayer. So if you have a deduction coming up that you could either pay now or later, pay it now. Because one of the, one of the things to consider is the, the mentality we were talking about before would be, especially, well, my money in the bank is my profit. Well, that's not the case 
Um, but if, so if you put that money into a project, you're not going to get a deduction today. If you put it into something that you could, you need a new saw, a new computer or, um, and just buying something that you're going to use in the next year, then you should just do it or, or do it now, you know, book travel, do whatever you need to do, um, before the end of the year. And one more thing to consider, if you put it on a credit card, you still get a deduction this year, even if you don't pay the card until 2020, uh, it's considered same as cash. So, um, you know, but then that's another thing. Make sure your credit card, if, try to separate one card for business and link it to your QuickBooks online or your accounting software so that you can, you can figure out what your personal expenses are. Um, so before we move on from that, what I want to share is, is for me, what I do at the end of the year is I, I look at my 2020. So right now on my board, I've got my whole got my calendar out for 2020 and I say, where are my personal development investments going to be in 2020. Mm -hmm. So what conference am I, conferences am I going to go to? What travel am I going to have? What should I start booking right now for my 2020 plans that I can pay for in 2019? So I can use that as an appreciation for training, for um, personal development, any of the things that I'm going to be doing at our business expenses for me and my team and where are we going to go and what are we going to do? So for example, I just bought a ticket to an event in 2020 that I'm going to. I booked my, my travel to it. It's somewhere that I can't fly the airplane to. So I'm going to fly commercial. It, I booked my hotel. I've done all of the things that I need to do for that event right now so that I can get the deduction in 2020 instead of waiting all the way to 2021 basically to get my money back. So these are, there's a lot of things that you can do. And even for some of the mastermind members that are listening, I have some people that have been reaching out to me saying, Hey, I know I'm on a payment plan, but I get a deduction if I pay in full. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to pay my balance in full here before the end of the year, because I want my, I want the deduction from it right now. So there's lots of different things that you can do. I would highly recommend that you plan your 2020 calendar of events and try to think about what you're going to be doing and commit to it. And then make that payment here right now is a great kind of one-time deduction. Like we talked about in that bucket that you can do before the end of the year. And just like you said, Chris, I put that stuff on a credit card. I get my 2% cash back. And then I also will um, not probably pay off that credit card until the end of January, about 30 days out. Um, just, but for me, my credit cards don't carry balances. They just, they get paid off in full every time first cycle. I don't like to pay interest on credit cards. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and just one one thing is, you know, is if, Typically in the past we said, man, if we don't, we want to avoid schedule C, we don't want to be a dealer, but you know, with, especially if you have W2 employment somewhere else, even if it's part-time, they're, they're eating up a lot of your social security tax. But if you're, you're schedule C, now you're going to be eligible for the 199A deduction, the qualified business income deduction where capital gains are not, don't qualify for that. So, um, that, that was just another planning tool is just making sure that you, you know, review your tax trends, make sure you maximize your, what's called your 199A deduction and yeah, accelerate your deductions. And so um, let's say, so let's explain that. That 199A is what? So with tax reform, um, corporate tax rates got reduced to 21% flat. And in order to make things equal, so everyone just didn't create a, become a corporation, uh, the, the government said, we're going to give business owners up to a 20% deduction based on your qualified business income. And that 20% deduction does, is always on a personal return. It's not on an S corp a partnership. Now there are things from your K one from these entities that will flow on your return and net with your other activities to determine what's eligible for your 199 a deduction. And then if you get to a certain income level, um, 
and then you could start getting phased out of the 199A deduction. Um, or if you are in what's called a specialized service trader business, that the phase out begins quicker. So I don't want to get everyone all driving off the road, tripping if they're jogging right now or biking. But um, you want to make sure you preserve that deduction. And there are strategies to make sure you do that. So, so th- if you're this is that this is that 20% pass through deduction that everybody's talking about, right? For a business owner that is flowing through your personal return. So if I'm an LLC, tax and LLC, or I'm a, um, uh, what, what's the, uh, uh, solo, what's S. not, not an escort, right? So escort, oh, is, single uh, member LLC. Yes. Single yeah. member LLC, or uh, I don't know what's, uh, if I don't even have an LLC and it's just doing business in my own name, I'm not, I'm losing mm-hmm. the, the name for that. So, oh, so uh, yeah, sole proprietor. Yeah. Sole proprietor. Thanks. Um, mm-hmm. I'm so used to saying solopreneur because we have a lot of people that are just one man shows. So sole proprietor, um, single member LLCs, this is passing through to my personal tax return and there's a 20% deduction off the top, typically, unless you don't qualify for it for some reason, whether it's income based or some other uh, reason. But most of the people that are flipping at wholesaling houses, I would suspect are getting this deduction, which is just this 20% pass through deduction, right? Exactly. And there, there was some IRS guidance that came out last January. So for people that have net rental income, let's say you have a fully depreciated property um, and you're not in the, the business of renting property, that's like the Shangri-La, right? Because you're going to get the 20% deduction on net rental income and not pay self-employment tax. Um, you have to make it a special tax election, um, in, in, which is called a safe harbor election. And, and what it says is I have, I'm putting at least 250 hours a year into this activity. So it's considered a business for as a qualified business income. The good thing is the 250 hours, that's, that's all that includes your subcontractors and your property management, anyone you hire to help you with the properties. And you can also make an aggregation uh, election that aggregates all of your properties into one activity. So if you have five rental properties, you don't have to put 250 in each property. So these are just some of the things that we look for. I don't expect anyone's driving around, again, biking, running, um, thinking about their tax elections and and, uh, only sick people like myself do, but just make sure that you're having these conversations with with your preparer and, and planning. So it sounds like, it sounds to me like all the things that we've talked about pretty much this one-time tax election. So you've got this uh, booking travel, booking events, uh, maybe buying some computers or office equipment or anything that you might need for, uh, for the office. For me, we do a Christmas party at the end of the year and we get some things for some of the individuals in the company and things like that. So that's uh, something that we do. I'm basically, I also do a lot of uh, interest payments to my lenders at the end of the year. So to kind of reduce our tax burden where we'll pay for interest interest or we'll compound the note to make a, uh, make a, an interest loss for us and then a gain for them. Uh, most of them are in IRAs, so they don't care that it happens because they're, they're not getting, they're in a Roth IRA or traditional IRA that they're not paying tax on it, reporting it right now. They will in the future. So a lot of good things that we can do as business owners there. And then you also have some bonus depreciation, whether it's um, a bonus depreciation for cost segregations on your rental properties, on any commercial buildings that you have, um, getting an idea of the K-1s that you're going to get, um, potentially the um, solo 401k or safe harbor 401k where you're doing a, a company match. So my company will match, let's see, I've got it right here, $37,000 to my 401k in a traditional. So here's another one. My company makes the traditional match to me at $37,000 to my traditional 401k. Let's just call it December 30th. And then on January 2nd, I do my Roth conversion. 
So that is a taxable conversion in 2020, but the deduction was in 2019. I haven't talked to Chris about this, so I have no idea how he's going to react, but that is, no. <laughs> if, I, if I was going to convert it anyway, I might as well mm-hmm. wait four days to do it as long as it made as much sense to do it in 2020 with my planning that it did in 2019. So you don't want to bump yourself up into a huge tax bracket to convert that 37000 but there's no sense in me doing it this year if I wasn't already planning on doing it this year with my structure. So lots of different things that you can do, and you can just keep it in a traditional, guys, and get that $37,000 deduction from your company, and that's a write-off for your, your income for that company. So, mm-hmm. so those things we've got um, looking at the 1031 exchanges, things like that, that you should probably already be planning for, but... Some other last minute things, the section 179 deduction. Last year I said, oh my gosh, I am going to be at a point where my tax burden is going to be huge this year. Um, I start looking, I've been looking for airplane. It took, I I was looking for an airplane and I told the guy who was helping me find it. I said, you've got six weeks to find it and we can purchase it. We closed on December 30th. So I was one day away for two days away from knocking it into 2019. So that was a huge benefit for us. Any vehicles, a lot of people use vehicles, large trucks and things like that, or any construction equipment that you might need for your, for your company is a great section 179 deduction that you could be thinking about for the end of the year. So all of these things can add up to really big changes in your, but here, here's my recommendation guys. Don't go out and buy like a $70,000 Ford Raptor if you weren't going to go out and buy a $70,000 Ford Raptor mm-hmm. anyway. It's not, it just doesn't make sense to buy something that you don't need just to get a deduction. So you're not getting a hundred percent of your money back. It's just not the way that it works. And that vehicle is going to depreciate over time for sure. So this is something that I had to weigh with the airplane and the car that I bought and all the things that I did is, does it make sense? Would I do it anyway? and be fiscally responsible in my personal life and not just like you said, Chris, let the tax wag, uh, tax burden wag the dog or what? Yeah. Don't, yeah. Yeah. Tax tail wag the dog. Tax tail wag. Well, that's a, that's a good point. And, and understand you made her one more point is if you want to go buy that rafter, if you put 40 grand down and it gets delivered in January, you, you don't get the deduction. So the, the vehicle or the asset has to be quote unquote placed into service. You have to take possession of it um, before the end of the year. Yep, so that that's was, another mistake. And I remember might, you, you telling me that. that mistake. I know I remember you telling me that because I had to I had to go up to Maryland, I had to get the airplane back to Tennessee, put it in service, get it to my home base, fill it up with fuel, do all that stuff on December 30th, which we did. And the car was delivered, you know, December 15th. And the other cool thing that I didn't realize is you can finance this stuff and still get the full mm-hmm. deduction. So what I did was you can finance a vehicle for say with no money down and write the entire thing off with bonus depreciation and basically get paid to purchase that vehicle that year once your tax bill comes back, obviously. So put no money down, pay the taxes, pay a couple other things. If it makes sense for you to do that, I would say if you're doing that, make sure that you had cash to buy it anyway. Because if that's the case, you, like, look, they got 0% interest out there, 0.5, 0.9, 1% interest on these vehicles. If you've got the cash to buy it, then fine. But if you're going into debt and it's hurting your net worth, it makes no sense to get this $120,000 loan for a vehicle. Uh, but if you have the cash, you would have bought it and you can go use that cash at 12 or 15 or 18% to loan or invest in real estate or do all the things you guys already do and pay the bank 1% or 0% financing. It's, it's a no brainer. It's complete interest arbitrage that I absolutely love. So, and then you can get the deduction from the tax. So let's say you have, you buy a $120,000 vehicle. That's hundred percent tax write-off. You use hundred percent for business. You write it off. 
and you're somewhere in the 40% tax bracket or even less 30% tax bracket, you got 30 to $50,000 tax write off there where you didn't put any money down. It's really amazing that it'll take the IRS two or three years to kind of catch up as you, you basically pay, have a mortgage payment on that car at like $2,000 a month probably. But um, lots of different options for yeah. you guys and things that you could do. Yeah, one more thing, and, and, and this is probably the 10th time I've said one more thing, but think about this. If you buy a vehicle for $40,000 at the end of the year, if you only needed 20,000 of the, and you're like, oh gosh, here's what you can do. You make an election and you elect out of the bonus depreciation and then take the section 179 depreciation for exactly what you need. So that first year, it's like, it's like a big piece of Play-Doh and we could either use it all or use part of it. Once you set your depreciation schedule, that's the depreciation schedule for the life of that asset. So that, that's, that's the other thing, you know, that we have, that we have to look at. There's a lot of times where I will elect out of the bonus because it's almost an asset that's too much and I'll use it in the future years. And you, so again, not to get too technical, I don't want to lose everybody. And, uh, but, um, but you can see the importance of asset, of asset acquisition planning. That's what it is. Yep. Absolutely. All right. I think we, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's a very technical podcast and I absolutely love it. We used a lot of numbers and, and strategy and things like that. And it's clear that we could talk for hours and hours on this. There's lots, the more that we talk, the more that we get different ideas. And this is what you want. You want the, you want somebody who is in your corner that you can kind of brainstorm with. And the cool thing is when you work with somebody who works with real estate investors, they they basically get ideas from other people that they bring back. It's like a mastermind that you run of paying clients who are doing lots of different things. I'm sure some of the stuff that we're doing, you're talking to other clients about doing and saying, Hey, you know, I got this guy in Nashville who does this, this, and this, you should think about that. And you're doing the same thing with me. Hey, have you ever, have you ever thought about this? I have this client who's doing this and I think it could really benefit you in what, what your tax return looks like and some of the planning that you have coming forward. Because we didn't just sit down and talk about what's happened this year. We also talk about what it looks like going forward. What's your plan for next year? What are some of the projections for your companies? What's some of your personal projections? What do you want to happen? What does that look like? So then we can start building a strategy based around that. So I think that's really important for anybody that's listening. Just, I didn't realize I was doing my own taxes for like 15 years. And then finally, when I, I had, I had about 10 rental properties and I was still doing it myself on spreadsheets. I didn't have my own QuickBooks online. I just got to the point where I said, you know what? My concern was that what am I missing? It wasn't necessarily that I thought what I was doing was wrong. It was just, could I be saving something? And then I went to a local person down in Pensacola. She did great for me for a couple of years. And then I hired somebody who was pretty prominent in the real estate field and had him do some just basically like a deep dive into what I was doing and, and pull out a report, say, you're doing this, you're doing this, nice job here, I think you could do this. It was effectively what I was doing without a ton of uh, new stuff. There was one thing that he brought to me that was just mine, monumental in my mind was he mentioned whole life, I almost fired him on the spot. And then I dug a little bit more into whole life because it's just been shoved down my throat when I was young as a young military aviator in the wrong world, not with paid up additions and all the other stuff that we're doing now. Mm -hmm. And it took me down that road of figuring out the whole life with paid up additions uh, uh, system, becoming your own bank, this Arnest and Nash type concept that I'm using right now. And it was just amazing that he opened the my eyes and the door to that. And really, we kind of dug into it. And then um, I said, well, I really want somebody local. And that's kind of where I found you through one of the meetup groups that we have here in Nashville. And 
it seemed like a lot of the big, larger, prominent people that were making a lot of money were using you. And uh, obviously the referral from my, from Tom Lonnie, who's one of my, uh, mm -hmm. one of our clients inside the mastermind group and also runs the um, becoming your own bank system for me is just amazing. So when somebody that's doing great things for you refers somebody else, you just say, okay, yeah, I want to meet him. I want to talk to him. And then it's been great. The past couple of years working with you has been, has been really good. So what can, you, you guys need somebody like this in your corner. Um, are, Chris, do you want anybody to reach out to you? I don't know if you do, if you guys are looking for more clients or if you just want to uh, jump on here and jump off. I know a lot of people are saying, no, we, or we, you only want a certain client or what, what does that look like? I want to give you the opportunity to kind of right. open the door if you want anybody to contact you. Well, one of our principles is to give back to the community more than we take. So if, if you're a listener, I'm happy to provide you with an initial complimentary consultation. We might not be a great fit for you, but I'm going to make sure that I'm going to point some things out for you. And if we're not, I'll find you someone that is a great fit uh, because we really appreciate, we really appreciate that opportunity. I learn a lot from a lot of, just by doing these consultations. Um, time of year right now, we're going to have some available in January and then basically February, March in the beginning of April, we're working on tax preparation season. Um, so, but my calendar is going to be up through August of next year within the next two weeks. It's up through April right now, because that's just kind of like you. I, I, my dad is, is a, is an army veteran and he pounded into me, you know, if you don't plan, you plan to fail. So that I try to have a plan. Um, so I can, I can make sure I can time block properly for the, for what's going on. So I'm happy to talk to anybody. Um, yeah. And, and, and see if we're a good fit again. Um, we don't, you know, to, we'll be able to onboard a few more people before tax like in January. But, um, but even if it's something that you say, you know what, I'll put them on my calendar for May. And um, remember, if you, if you, if you want to get your tax return done, you can always amend a return for three years if you, if you, if you just don't feel great about it. So, but I'm happy to give back and, and I enjoy working with you. I enjoy working with Tom uh, also and all the amazing people that I've met. So, so how, 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 they, the, how do they get a hold of you if they want to like book a time or something like that? Well, they could email me. Um, I have a long last name, but it's, um, or the easiest thing to do would just go to realestatecpa.guru. Um, I'm going to try and, and then you could just put your information in. Bear with me real quick. I'm just okay. Gonna... While you're doing that, so guys, um, I don't. Yeah, I, I'm glad that Chris didn't give his email. I don't want to get completely hammered by you guys. I know we have a lot of listeners that are going, "Oh, I need this. I need this. I need this. I need this." Mm -hmm. And um, so I'll let him share kind of the website. But then yeah. also after that, Chris, I'd like you to follow up with if it's not if 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 they're just getting going or something like that. Like, what would you recommend if if you don't have availability or time. They go to the calendar and they go, Oh my gosh, this guy can't even talk to me till August. Cause I know I book my time with you on there and you, you're a very busy guy like me. We're very busy. So what would your recommendation be to look for a good CPA that um, would have the time for them or somebody, would you recommend somebody local or online or virtual or what? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, we do. Yeah, it is real estate guru. There's going to be a landing page. And if you just put your information in, we're going to reply within one business day. Um, I think someone local, you know, we have a lot of virtual clients. One of the reasons I was able to relocate to beautiful Nashville from lovely Detroit to three and a half years ago was because I, ha uh, my clients are all over the place. Um, and I specialize in real estate, but one great place would be your local meetups um, because they're going to know, 
people, you know, people around and, and you're probably, if you're getting started, you're going to having someone that really specializes in just one state tax law, um, is going to be good. So, and you want to find someone that's you're going to be able to grow with too. So you, hopefully this is one of the last decisions you have to make as far as from a service provider. So I would say, um, yeah, if, if someone local, I mean, I wouldn't go to the, I don't want to say the chamber of commerce and just look somebody up, but rock stars, rock stars always refer rock stars. So if you have a mentor, um, and if that mentor CPA isn't available, then go to another mentor and, and ask for a referral. And once you find the right one, you're going to know it right away. You, 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 that's why it's like, well, how can, you know, a 30 minute consultation? Well, I'm going to know and you're going to know, but I'm still going to give you um, a lot of, of great, uh, hopefully some good ideas. But, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It, the referral is, is the best, uh, hands down. It, this was a referral from somebody that I know, liked and trust, trusted. And uh, I think that's really important in, in all of this when you're, mm-hmm. when you're working with somebody is, is find somebody and then, and then interview them. And they got to make sure that you're a good fit with them. Like you got to really click because mm-hmm. this is, you're going to spend some, you're going to w- want to spend time with this person. You're going to, you're going to want, they're digging into your financials. So you got to be really trustworthy and, and they got to, and ha- what a, what kind of language do they speak? Like, how are they, how are they talking to you? Is it, um, I, for me, uh, my core values are the biggest thing and they come out in the people that I work with. And if they don't, then mm-hmm. I'll find somebody else to work with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You're going to know if it's uh, we always say, let your best client pick your next client. So when, when we're getting referred by a really good client, um, we know that 99% of the time they're going to have the same core values. And, and sometimes, uh, if, if we've, if, if a client situation changes, and we're happy to transition them to another provider that, you know, if, if it's owned that owned a business for 20 years and now they literally just have social security and some bank interest and they're not looking at tax strategy, then I'm not going to feel comfortable engaging with them. I will make sure that they're with someone else that fits their need at that time. Awesome. Well, um, yep. I appreciate that. I appreciate you spending time with us. And guys, we talked about the the write-offs that you can get in 2019. And that's why I took the price of Flip Hacking Live back to what we, what we said on stage in San Diego. And then we increased the price, but I actually brought it back because we moved it to the East Coast. It's going to be down in Orlando in October. It's going to be an incredible event. Now's the time as far as the tax side of things go. It's a perfect time to book your plane ticket, book your, book your, buy your ticket to Flip Hacking Live while we have them on sale. Uh, for you, for your staff, for your family, your wife, your kids, bring the whole team, bring everybody, bring them down to Orlando. It's an incredible resort. It's an incredible location. And it's going to be three days of some amazing content. If you're one of our mastermind members, your price is going to go up too on January 1st. So we've got the prices as low as we possibly can right now up to December 31st. And now's the time to get them. I want to see kind of who's committed, who's ready to go and who's smart. Who's going to write this off? Who's going to get the best price and write it off in their taxes in 2019? So perfect time to get that kind of one-time investment into yourself, into your business, and figure out who you're going to bring with you. Buy three or four tickets, give them away as Christmas gifts, give somebody the, this, um, give somebody this, this, a trip like this, give somebody the opportunity and experience down at Flip Hacking Live that you got this year. If you came to this year for the first time and you know that it's changed your life, how many other people could you impact and improve their lives by giving them a ticket to an event like this? So go to fliphackinglive.com. You can grab your tickets there, October 15th, 16th, and 17th in Orlando. I'm really excited about it. We're already planning for it. I'm setting, I've actually got a call next week with a speaker that I want to bring to the event. And uh, 
I'm interested to see if we can get him because he's pretty big and he pretty much says no to everything. So uh, we'll see. I'm already kind of making calls, planning different uh, speakers and things like that. Um, Chris, I'm going to twist your arm and make you come down this year. Uh, give you the feedback from last year. I know that we talked awesome. a minute for this year, but um, get your tickets, fliphackinglive.com. Come down and see us in Orlando. I want to see all of you guys there. And I want to see who the smart, uh, who, who's the preparer and who's the procrastinator? I, I'm pretty much sure that I know inside of our mastermind groups, but I'm not sure that I know from all the listeners that we have. So get your tickets ahead of time. Um, they're going to go up here in January 1st. So I hope to see you guys there. Uh, Chris, any last, any last things that you want to say? No, I wish everyone a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and um, be thankful that you have the guidance to listen to this podcast and and make 2020 your year. I think it's, uh, I think it is. I really do. I think we're going to have, all have a great year and, and um, I appreciate this opportunity. And, you know, we have a part, we have an office in Winter Park, Florida. So, you know, I have young kids. There's no coincidence there and uh, love to join. So thank you. Oh, this sounds like a perfect opportunity because it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Then you can go Sunday, Monday, Tuesday with the whole family right off the entire trip. Oh man, this is uh, that's 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 what I'm doing. I'll be talking to you about how we can get uh, our entire trip. We've also got those storage units that we're building down just outside of Orlando and Davenport, Florida. So perfect opportunity to fly the airplane mm -hmm. down there, have the event do some family fun around it and make it a business expense. So I want to bring my kids to the event. I want to bring my spouse. It'll change the game for, you know, for young kids, for, for wives, for relationships, for couples. It's really, it's not just a real estate event. It's a personal development event too. So, um, yeah, I hope to see you there. We'll talk more about it and uh, I've got some ideas for you. The, um, okay guys, Chris, thank you so much for spending time with me. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to share some tax tips and strategies. And I hope we saved a lot of people, a lot of money. And I know that 2020 is going to be an awesome year. I've got some incredible podcasts coming up that I'm preparing for right now, just before the end of the year. So you guys can hear a little bit about my year in review and a little bit about what's coming for, uh, in the future for 2020 for me and the team and everything that we're going to do for you guys. So I can't wait to see you on the next podcast. Thanks for hanging out with me on this seven figure flipping podcast. And I'll see you guys next time. Bye, Chris. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the seven figure flipping podcast with Bill Allen. If you want to grow and scale your house flipping or wholesaling business, check out more insider tips and strategies from the nation's most successful real estate investors at sevenfigureflipping.com.